Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode number 78 of Good Humans Podcast. This is a very, very fun episode and one that I was looking forward to getting to share If it's your first time here today, thank you so much for tuning in. Please go and hit like or subscribe over on Apple or Spotify. Make sure you leave us a five-star rating and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Also, if you're listening in the first week of this episode coming out, please go over to the show notes and hit that feedback survey. We're giving away two $250 vouchers to the Good Human Factory. All you have to do is fill in a two-minute survey, give us some feedback, let us know your favorite episodes this year, let us know a couple things that are going to help us improve heading into next year. So if you enjoy the pod, please go and do that. It takes about two minutes and you can win some um, awesome prizes. All right, this week's episode, Dr. Heidi, what an absolute legend. Heidi reached out to me, or Dr. Heidi reached out to me on over email. She's from over in the US, and yeah, she's a toxic relationship specialist. This episode was um, really fun for me. It was nice to give Heidi some space to share her story. She said she probably opened up more than she ever has with people, um, with any other podcast, but uh, yeah, it was really cool to give her space to share her story, which led her to being the toxic relationship specialist that she is today. It's really cool to um, get to hear people's stories. It really fascinates me the different journeys we all go on and I'm sure there will be a lot of people that can relate to parts of Heidi's story about the relationship she was in, the controlling part of it and yeah, the way that she escaped it was really heavy to hear but it was also yeah really eye-opening to the way that people have to go through life. Um, she then went on to explain some ex- like really cool stuff about toxic relationships, how we can identify it, how we can get out of them. And yeah, the work that she's doing now, which is really, really special. She has a podcast with over a million downloads, which is huge, far, far bigger than my podcast. And yeah, I think you're going to really get a lot out of this chat. I know I definitely did. If you do enjoy it, please share it on your social media, tag both myself and Dr. Heidi. I will leave all of the links in the show notes to get in contact with Dr. Heidi and learn all about the amazing work she does. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Dr. Heidi. Hey, how you going, Dr. Heidi? I'm fantastic, actually. I was ex- I was really excited for this. I usually have to talk about I do a lot of education, so this one will be will be a little more fun for me. Yeah, and I think it's going to be good fun for me as well getting to know your story, getting to know a bit more about why you do what you do and then yeah, talking about the incredible work you do do now in toxic relationship awareness and healing specialists. So the first question I do open with is what are you grateful for right now? What am I grateful for? Well, I, I always kind of make a rule that I can't always say my hot husband, but <laughs> super grateful for my hot husband. And you know what else? I'm, I'm very 
grateful for the work that I do because I would have never in a million years thought I would be doing this. So when I look back and and being able to help people, um, grateful for that. I'm also grateful for whiskey occasionally. Lovely. Like a little uh, sip. Yeah. <laughs> that was, but yeah. Oh, I mean, I haven't, to me, uh, you probably don't know this about me. I actually haven't had a drop of alcohol for six months. I'm doing a 12 month challenge, um, which I've been following on this pod- podcast, but I'm, um, yeah, six and a half months in, which has been nice. So no whiskey. For well, me. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do that. So you'll have to be my accountability. Not that uh, I drink a lot, but nobody needs to, nobody really needs to, right? Exactly. It's a, it's just having that awareness, which um I think a lot of today's conversation is going to be around awareness, but let's, um let's get to know you a little bit better. So Maybe to kick off, do you want to let the listeners know who you are and what you do? Okay. My name is Dr. Heidi Brocky. Hardly anybody knows my last name. I always joke. It's because I can never just, I couldn't decide on which one I wanted to use. Um, But my life went a completely different path than I thought it would, as probably most of the people that that you talk to. Um, We were just talking before we started recording. I grew up in a little tiny community Um, right by Bozeman, Montana, which has become very famous in the last couple of years because that's where Yellowstone, the series is filmed. Um, But yes, I was, I was blessed to grow up there. It was a little Christian community. Um, People laugh when I tell them we were not allowed to dance. So people think I grew up in the footloose community, but um, it wasn't really that we weren't allowed. We just had older funding and they didn't like it. But um, I basically went to the same church, went to the same school, saw the same people for the first 18 years of my life, Um, left there with the perception that that's how the entire world was. Everybody looked out for everybody. You know, it was, you know, very gossipy. But from my perception, it was a very safe place to grow up. Um, I left and started undergrad in Chicago. So I went from never leaving Montana to Chicago for two years. Um, could not decide what I wanted to study. So I went back to Montana, um, started just doing classes. And my mother said, I think you need to pick a major because you've been in college for three years and you don't even know what you're doing. And so this is about how much thought went into my career. I was working for a chiropractor at the time and I thought, well, I don't know what else to do. So I'll apply to chiropractic school. And if I get in, that's what I'll do. It was literally a three-day decision. Um, Yep, so I left. I moved to the Midwest, which is mid-United States, and went to chiropractic school uh, with the whole perception that everybody was like the people that I had perceived to have this perfect little life where I grew up. Um, It was in graduate school that I met my former husband. this could be a very, very long story. I'm just going to make it short because I'll get I'll get into some of that later. Um, I felt very strange around him from the first minute. Um, I did not want to go on a first date with him. By the seventh time he asked, I felt like I was being mean. So, okay, yes, I'll go on a first date with you. I did not want to go on a second date. Um, before I knew it, this is out of order, but I was pregnant. Um, I was married. I was moved in. Um I, before I could think about it, I was pregnant again. Then I graduated. I bought a practice. Um, Before I really knew that I was in way too deep into something that I I was not sure what it was, uh, but I was too afraid to leave. I had 
way too much intertwinement. All our money was combined. We had a, a chiropractic practice together. We had two little girls. We had a ranch. We had a lot of stuff going on. And by that time, by the time I really felt like, I think I made a huge mistake. Um, I was, I was too far in and um, I am normally, I'm a middle child, very extroverted, very loud, very, the one, you know, that people have to turn the volume down on, uh, very social, always had friends. And I lost all of that during that 14 year relationship. When I was in it, I didn't, I didn't understand it because it certainly couldn't have been abuse because I had a doctorate of course, and I went through all of those classes. So there was no way that I would be that blind to step into an abusive relationship. So with the girls and with my job, I just kept busy. I was on autopilot, just doing the list of the things that were expected of me for a very, very long time. Um, a lot of infidelity, a lot of money hiding, a lot of, you know, financial abuse. You, you can, you can list it and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more later, but um, I finally got up the nerve to divorce him. Um, I divorced him and I was so excited because he he had been so controlling of me. I couldn't make my own decisions, you know, what to wear, how to wear my hair, what to do with my schedule, uh, what friends I could have. I wasn't allowed to make any of those decisions. And I was so excited to finally have the divorce papers in my hand and nothing changed. And I talk about occasionally um, about the day that I ran away from him. I started really trying to stand up for myself which started pushing things into a little bit more physical uh, violence, pushing and shoving and locking me in rooms and stuff like that when I tried to stand up for myself. And so two years after I divorced him, I could not see any way out. Now, looking back, I know I had the free will to leave. I was very scared of him. A lot of threats, you know, that kind of thing. I didn't know what would happen to my kids. I didn't know if I'd have money to make it. All of the, all of the what ifs kept me there for a 12 year marriage. Um, but two years after I was divorced, I finally had to run away. And in doing so, uh, my choice was either go through the court system and fight him again for who knows how many years uh, to get my half or sign everything over to him and leave. And I decided I had been fighting for 14 years and I was not going to fight with him over one more thing. So I signed everything over to him. I gave him my practice, I gave him my patience, I gave him my accounts receivable. I let him have most of the property. I walked away with a house that I could sell and $50,000 in credit card debt that he had taken out in my name, a Hummer he had bought in my name. And I ended up leaving my kids. Um, I had two girls. They were 11 and 13 when I left. Hardest thing I have ever done. Um, worst, worst time of my life. He kept them from me for almost five years. So I did, I missed, I missed their entire uh, teenage years. And the thing is, is when you're in an, in this type of relationship, and of course, when I was in it, I didn't understand what it was. You don't talk about it because when you, when you try to talk about it to other people, unless they've experienced it, they look at you like, well, why don't you leave? Mm. You know, well, if it's so bad. How come you're still there? Well, the, you know, there's a lot of, trauma bonding that goes on. There, there was, there was a ton of fear for me. Um, and so I didn't talk about it when I was in it. Well, then when I moved, I moved four hours South without my kids. 
So I spent four years trying to rebuild the practice. I couldn't talk about it then either. How are you supposed to explain that you're a mom that left her kids four hours away? Um, he had not agreed to sign a parenting plan when the final divorce papers uh, were signed. He agreed to 50-50, but knew that if he refused to sign a actual schedule, that there was nothing that would hold either of us accountable. And so unless I took him back to court, uh, there was no accountability on him keeping the kids from me. Um, I had to learn that no news was good news for the five years I didn't have my kids. If there was an emergency, they would call me. Um, when I left, he moved them right into my position. They, they worked at the office. They were out of school. He homeschooled them. He kept them very isolated from everyone. Um, they did all the work on the ranch. They did all the house cleaning. They did all of that. They stayed until they couldn't stay anymore. And at 17 and 19, they also ran away. Um, wow. and they, they came down to me. They, you know, it's, it's very sad. I don't tell you this for people to feel sorry for me because I understand now looking back why, why it happened. Uh, they're 27 and 25 now, and I have a fantastic relationship with both of them. And both of them have cut their father out of their life pretty much. Um, and then I was practicing as a chiropractor here and I, as everybody does, started feeling a little burnt out. You know, I can adjust people in the dark with my eyes shut. And I was feeling like I was not giving my patients the best quality care. So I needed to add something. So I started coaching, uh, started coaching like everybody does as a life coach, uh, making yourself a priority. And as I started that business, I accidentally started using examples and talking about my past. And pretty soon I realized most of the people that were coming to me for making themselves a priority were people that were coming out of emotionally abusive relationships. And so I thought, well, maybe this is the reason I went through it because when I was in it, I really could not understand how I felt like I was a good person. And I felt like I was in healthcare to help people. And I felt like I was nice and I was helpful. And I didn't understand at all how I could land in something that just felt like an absolute prison. Um, looking back now, I get it. Um, I started, I just started doing small workshops and started talking about my story. And that was six and a half years ago. And I retired from healthcare two years ago and I do the emotional abuse recovery and I help people escape and I help people recover full-time now from emotionally abusive relationships. Wow. Your story is just it's it's hard to comprehend how difficult a few of the decisions you had to make throughout that journey would have been for one, obviously leaving your daughters to work on yourself. How is it dealing with for one, the the judgment that you might have got from people around you for making that decision? And then also how difficult was it um rebuilding the relationship with your kids? Did they feel like you abandoned them? Like I can imagine that would have been such a hard decision to make as a mom. So oh, it was, it was terrible. It was terrible. But I remember looking at what they thought was a normal relationship because um, the toxic personality, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but the toxic personality, once, once you isolated, so he would never let me see my family. Uh, by the end, I couldn't even talk on the phone to my mom if he was around because he would, you know, make excuses for me to get off the phone or make loud noises or whatever. And so my girls didn't really see anything normal. 
I at least had a background of not that any family is normal, but I at least had a background. I, I have my parents have been married for 55 years this January, and I have to this day never seen them fight. Wow. I'm sure they do, but it just was never in front of us. Um, so I I had something that I could look back on as what I felt was normal. And when I looked at my kids, this was the only relationship that they could see. So so my daughters grew up thinking this is this is how normal pe- people have a relationship. And I didn't want that for them because if they thought it was normal, they're going to get out and they're going to step into one exactly like this because why wouldn't they? They wouldn't know the difference. And I also looked at myself and I was not a good example of a mom. Uh, I was a doormat. I he he dictated everything. I stayed for a really long time because I thought I was protecting them. Mm. I thought if if I'm not here, all of this is going to come down on them. So I at least have to be here to kind of be a buffer. And finally, I realized I I wasn't protecting them, even if I was there. Um, I knew that I needed, I needed to heal. I needed to be able to build myself up so that they had a mom that they could look up to. But I also, and I talk to my clients about this all the time. I had to quit protecting them because if I kept making excuses for his behavior, they would never be able to see his true colors. And I wanted by the time they were 18, that they could make the decision that they, that they wanted as far as a relationship with him. I didn't want to be like my mom trying to convince me to leave and begging me to leave. And I did leave that relationship. I left it six times and went back. So, so I really, even though it was hard, I had to look at my, at my kid's future knowing that that I wasn't helping them at all staying there. Uh, you know, we talk now, we look back, we're, we don't know if we would all still be there. Things kept getting more violent and worse. And, you know, his temper was, was awful. Um, so when I talk to my girls now, I carried so much guilt for so long. I didn't, you know, I didn't get to teach my kids how to put their makeup on or their first date or anything like that. And um, I carried a lot of guilt. And about three years ago, my two daughters and I finally uh, went on a weekend, our first vacation together ever. Um, And they told me that I was not allowed to feel guilty. They said, we know why you left and uh, we wouldn't be where we are today if you wouldn't have. And they said, mom, I'm kind of getting tears. So I'm sorry about that. Um, They said, they said, you know, we didn't call you when we were doing okay. And we knew if we needed you and we called, you would be there. And so they said, um, I was not allowed to feel guilty for leaving them ever again because we were all okay. And we all developed into the people we were supposed to. Um, not that that, not that that makes me feel any better about missing out on five years of their life. But, um, again, my oldest, she's called me four times since three o'clock this afternoon. (laughs) What do I, what should I make for dinner? What should I wear? You know, it's so, so it's great now. Um, and they're tough. My kids are tough. They're problem solvers. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about them taking care of themselves. No, it's, it's, it's great to hear that you do have a great relationship with them now. And yeah, you just wouldn't wish on the worst person in the world to have to go through that. I can imagine leaving your daughters would have been so, so difficult. And now in the work you do, it must give you so much, it must make you so proud that you can help other people break free from these toxic relationships, which is just so, so common. And the hardest thing I believe is that th- th- as common as they are, it's always quite secretive and it's always, 
it sounds like quite often and people that I know that have been in toxic relationships before it comes back to, for one, like the lack of awareness at the beginning that, Oh, maybe this just kind of is normal, but then also, yeah, the person being so manipulative and trying to, like you said, trap and cage people from being able to have people to maybe give them good advice. So now in the work you do now, what, um, what's like the biggest challenge in your role now being um, a toxic relationship specialist? So, so the first thing I always make sure that the listeners know is you heard me say earlier, I am a chiropractor by trade. That's I'm a chiropractor acupuncturist. So I am not a licensed mental health professional. So, so what I do is I do a ton of education because if I would have known what I know now, my life and my girl's life would have been a lot different. So because I didn't have anybody that could explain it to me, I am just trying to be the person that I needed when I was going through it because when you are in these, you do not have time to focus on yourself, your mental health, or the effect that it's having on you. All you have time to focus on is trying to stay one step ahead of the toxic person so that you don't have conflict and you don't disappoint them and you keep them happy. And so you're always you're always anticipating what their next move is. And for you to be able to take care of yourself, it it absolutely does. They do not allow time for that. What, what you end up doing in these types of relationships is we end up changing who we are to become what they need so that we feel like we fit better into the relationship. And so when you, when you say, you know, it's hard to get other people's opinions. I, I tried that and I, I tried to talk to the law and I tried to talk to social services, but the problem is, is I still had to work with him every day and I still had to go home and live with him. And, and he's not going to want to look like the bad person. So it, it would just get worse and worse on me and the girls if we would try to get help from somewhere. So we just learned that what happens at home stays at home. And then when we're out in public, we're the cutest little family. And my girls, my girls were rodeo athletes. They were, they dominated the rodeo world over here when they were very, very young. So out in public interviews, you know, we're the supportive parents and at home, it was, completely different. And my, it was very difficult for my, my daughters to understand. And, and the thing that I love that you're doing is the mental health aspect. My daughters and I all fight with a, like a post-traumatic stress trigger thing. And I've been out for 14 years and my, both of my girls struggle. Um, wow. I try to, you know, I have the education and, and now they will call me and I walk them through it, but it breaks my heart knowing that they have to deal with all this stuff because I stayed too long. I should have left when they were little. Yeah. Those, those self-beliefs and that carry on that come from our upbringing and those um, habits and those things that we just become normal in our mind can be the biggest holdback for so many people. And it's been a big thing that I've worked on is kind of just challenging my own self-beliefs quite regularly and going like, huh, why do I think that way? And trying to think back to kind of where I created that assumption or where I created that self-belief and challenging that because we only know what we get taught. And if we're not exposed to better information or better relationships, it does become very difficult to understand whether you're even in a toxic relationship or whether you're in a situation that you shouldn't be in. I've had um, a guest of mine that's going to come out this in a few days. It'll come out before your episode. Um, this guy, Joel Adams, a friend of mine who's a singer who got in a toxic relationship with a, um, and as well, which I'm sure you'll attest for toxic relationships. I'm sure with a lot of your clients are romantic and 
personal relationships, but quite often professional relationships can be toxic too. So the way that he went through this thing with his management, he just felt like he didn't, he like didn't have mentors to lead him into the right sort of path. And he had to sign things that he didn't want to sign, but he just didn't have the people around him. So what sort of advice do you have for people who do not really have a support network around them or people to go to when they are really struggling? Because I feel like so many people feel like they are trapped and don't have people to turn to. So, so that's, that's the exact person that I have geared my services to towards. Um, usually now first I'm going to, I'm going to back up. Are we on a time limit? No, no, you go for as long okay. as you want. Um, we have to talk about the word toxic first. Toxic is not a diagnosis. Toxic is an adjective that is used to describe any relationship in the status that it's in that may be unhealthy for you mentally, physically, or emotionally. Okay. So we hear about toxic people and we hear about toxic relationships, but that's not a diagnosis because what we don't understand is that we are the ones that get to decide who is healthy for us and who isn't. And we get to decide where they are placed in our circle of contacts, right? Um, toxic relationships do not, do not discriminate. They're in every social class. They're in every gender. They're in every religion. They're in every culture. Um, I started thinking when I built this business, I started thinking I was doing, I was going to help females get out of toxic marriages. Mm. Uh, seven years later, I have worked with friendships, social circles, coworkers, family dynamics, as well as the intimate partner and spouse. And, and what I do different than your mental health professional is I educate. So my logo, if, if you've seen it, it has four, four quadrants. Uh, my pillars are education leads to understanding, which leads to your empowerment and ultimately your freedom. Mm. You will not be ready to leave or be solid in a decision until you understand the situation for what it is. Um, the toxic person is driven very much by insecurity in themselves. And you and I know that when we feel most secure, when give me a time when you felt most secure in your life. It's probably right now because everything's going good. Yeah, probably right now. I'm in a very good spot right now, which is nice. Right. right. So what, what most people will say is they'll say, oh, it's when my career was kicking off and I had a good group of friends and, you know, I lost five pounds and I was working out every day. What makes us feel secure in ourselves is the things we put into our own life, wow. right? Because we, we we feel proud, we feel rewarded. And we take ownership. The toxic, yep. The toxic personality in general does not have the ability to do that. It doesn't matter how much they put into their own life. It doesn't matter how much money they have, what physique they have, how many friends they have, what job title they hold. It's never going to be enough to make them feel secure. So your toxic personality places people strategically in their life that feed them the things that they need to feel secure. That's why it is so hard to get out of these relationships because they hang on and they, they make you believe that you're the bad person. If you, if you leave or you hurt uh. their feelings and, and, and the other thing that I am adamant about was when somebody works with me, it is the kind, caring, loving, giving, fix it, supportive, conflict, avoided peacekeeper, personality that the toxic personality is going to target. Mm. So when I work with somebody, of course, they always find me about one toxic person. But I always have to say your personality, this isn't the last toxic person that's going to approach you because your personality attracts them. So I have to make sure 
they know how to spot them and they know how to handle themselves so that the behavior of the toxic person doesn't affect them. And so when I work with somebody, I do all the education. We keep, I don't know if you've had a history of a relationship like this, but we, for some reason, when we're in it, we keep thinking if we just tell them how they made us feel and we just make sure they know how they hurt our feelings. And if we just tell them what we need changed, that someday they're going to wake up and act like us. You know, we keep looking at them thinking, how come you can't just act normal? And, and part of the reason that is, is because I am very, I'm a very emotionally wired person. I would have never gone into healthcare if I wasn't right. Mm. I, I can only see the world through emotional eyes. So when I look at the toxic person and say, how come you can't just act normal? It's because I'm looking at it through emotional based eyes and your toxic personality is usually not very emotional. So they don't seem to get it because they don't feel like they're not acting normal. Yeah. So when you have two people in a, what we call a toxic relationship, it's because the two parties involved in the relationship have different goals. Yeah. One is in it for companionship and partnership and intimacy and emotional support or, you know, friendship or whatever. And the other is in it for security in themselves only, but they will never tell you that they will lead you to believe that their goals are the same as yours. Mm. And us empathetic people really want to find the good in people. And we really want to believe the words that come out of their mouth. So we head down the relationship road thinking we're working towards the same goals. And pretty soon you realize you're feeling not good enough and you should wear your hair different and they don't like your friends and you jump on this treadmill to try and seek their approval and be perfect so that you're not causing conflict and you're not disappointing them. And what people find out very quickly is where do you go when you're on a treadmill? Nowhere. Nowhere. Because by the time you fix whatever they want fixed, they've moved the goalpost. Yeah. And, and part of the reason they do that is one of the things that makes a toxic personality feel secure is attention on them. And when you are working and striving to be better and to be perfect and to do everything that, that they want so that you don't cause conflict, where is your attention? Definitely it is on yourself. It is on 100% on them and they don't care if it's positive or negative attention. You know, they can criticize you and get your attention and be fine with it. Mm. Um, so, so basically what I teach is I teach you to see the world through the eyes of the toxic person, because you won't understand the relationship until you see it, how they see it. And, and I remember when I, when I finally was able to mentally look back and really dig through my former relationship. I remember when I figured this out, I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. This is so easy. Mm. It's so easy because everything tracks back to the fact that what they do and what they say is, is for security in themselves. And, and we are the people in their lives that are supposed to do that for them. Yeah. It's so interesting. All of the, all of what you said. So if somebody's in a relationship and they might maybe think they're in something like this, um, what are some red flags and kind of how do you stop allowing others behaviors to affect you? Cause so, so many people are just trying so hard yeah, to make that person happy. That might be the person who's bringing the money into the relationship. It might be the person yeah. who is supporting them because there's obviously great and red flags to every situation. So what are some of the red flags to look out for and how does somebody yeah, build that awareness? Yes. And the awareness is one thing, but us being able to choose ourselves because emotional people, always put other people first also. So you mm. have to learn and then you have to be, you Set know, boundaries. Um, I'll tell, remind me to tell you about a quiz on the podcast, uh, not on the podcast, on my website that will help okay. people 
Um, but some of the some of the red flags or the character traits, um, the tear you down traits, criticizing, comparing you, competition, name calling, belittling you. Okay, that is a bully on the playground technique. If I can make you feel bad, I feel better. I feel powerful, and I got your attention, which makes me feel more secure. And I remember some of the criticisms that I had gotten in my former marriage, and I kept thinking, where are you even getting these? Because he would attack my best virtues. Yeah. You know, I can't, I cannot lie to save my life. My kids laugh at me when I'm trying to fib or hide something. Um, and he would call me a liar all the time. Now he was, he was a cheater. There was a lot of, lot of infidelity and, you know, he would accuse me of, of cheating when he was, You're so he would attack the things. he was, yep. He was, he would attack the things that I was strongest in so that I would continue to work harder. Because when I was working harder, my attention was on him. Um, the toxic personality likes to instill fear. It's not always fear for your physical safety, but mine escalated, you know, escalated to that. Um, it's fear for, it's fear of disappointing them, fear of making them mad. And when somebody fears you, they feel power. And when you're fearful of someone, where is your attention? It's on them. Um, control uh, in the aspect of, I call it toxic identity theft. They take your decision-making ability away. You go to the beauty shop in the spring to get your haircut. And you decide, oh, I've been wearing the same messy bun for the last eight months and I'm sick of it. So you get your hair cut off and you go home and they say, I told you, I only like you with your hair long. Okay. Now the next time you go to get your haircut, you don't go and say, how does Dr. Heidi want to wear her hair? I go and say, how do I think he wants me to wear my hair? Mm. When I left, I couldn't order off of a menu. A menu in front of me would just about send me into a panic attack because it wasn't because he was telling me what to eat. He would say, how come you're having chicken? Or don't you think that's too expensive? It wouldn't matter what I ordered. There was always a criticism or always something wrong with how I did something. So at 35 years old, I'm waiting to see what he ordered. I'm waiting to see what the price point is. And then I'm ordering something that I don't even want, hoping he's not going to criticize it. The first date that I went on with the man that I'm married to now, I couldn't even hardly look at the menu. So you, so I start people out in really small steps in decision-making because the toxic personality absolutely trains you that if you make the wrong decision, a firing squad is going to show up. And mm. we learn very quickly, if we just don't make a decision, somebody will make it for us. You know, where do you want to eat? I don't care. Because in the beginning I would say, oh, let's go for Mexican or let's go. Well, he didn't want that. We just had that last week, you know? And so, so I started not making any decisions because it was easier to just go with the flow Okay, well, if I'm 35 years old and I'm not picking how to wear my hair, I I was blonde when I left that relationship because three weeks after I married him, he was so disappointed in himself because he was always going to marry a blonde. And, and basically, I don't know if he really was, but he threw that out there to make me feel like I wasn't good enough and highlight my hair, highlight my hair. I remember looking at myself in the mirror shortly before I left. I did not even recognize myself. I never smiled. I never talked. I walked with my head down all the time. Um, you basically lose your independence. You lose your identity. You change your values, your, your core values of what you stand for. You have to change them to fit theirs so that there's less conflict. And, and this, is, this is something I didn't even realize. I always held honesty as one of my values. For one, I know I can't lie. And two, it's a big deal to me for people to be honest. 
Yeah. And I only said that. Okay. I lived with a cheater for 14 years. So clearly I was not upholding my value of honesty. I was just saying honesty is my value, but I'm just going to let him slide. Mm. You know? So, so when you come out of these relationships, I didn't know who I was. I couldn't make decisions. I didn't know what kind of clothes to wear. I didn't know what my favorite color was. I, I had to come, I had to move and try and build a business and make business building decisions. And I wasn't even able to decide what I wanted to wear out of my closet every day. Wow. Um, they also, they, the, your independence, you basically become dependent on them because they isolate you from, from everything else. It, it's, uh, it's crazy how common I think that situation is obviously with the dynamic of man, woman relationships and the kind of patriarchy that we've grown up in of like demand supporting, which is changing a lot now, but that obviously still come through in so many relationships which can be a big cause of it. What advice do you have someone for one for exiting? Um, yeah, let's, let's go that sort of route now. So if somebody's got to the okay, point, you yeah. I, I want to say one more thing. Um, yeah, the, toxic, the toxic personality is also emotionally abusive. Okay. I think I had verbal abuse in my head when people tried to explain that to me when I was in it. Well, yeah, he yells and screams a lot, but I always just brushed it off because that was him. He yells and screams every day. Mm. Um, but what emotional abuse is, is when somebody uses your emotions to get what they need. So if they can say or do something to make you feel something, they feel in control of your emotions. So if they, you know, hey, I wanted to take you on a date Friday night, you have a happy emotion. They just perpetuated that emotion. They criticize you, you're upset. They just perpetuated that emotion. The, you know, the big one for me was he could make me feel guilty. So the six times I left, oh, I can't believe you're breaking up the family. Mm. And I feel so guilty. I didn't take the time to look and go, this is not a family. I just would go off what he would say that would make me feel something. Yeah. And and, and an example of, of, for the listeners, if you are wondering if you're being emotionally abused, pretend Tuesday morning you're in the kitchen. The spouse gets up, they're in a great mood. They come in, they're whistling, they pat you on the butt, they grab their coffee and they tell you to have a good day. What kind of day do you think you would have that day? A good day. A good day. So Wednesday morning, you're in the kitchen, they stub their toe, they trip over the dog, they're mad, you didn't load the dishwasher right, they grab their coffee, they don't say a thing and they slam their door on the way out. Of, out. What kind of day do you think you have that day? A shitty day. Yes. That is when you are emotionally dependent on somebody. You wait to see what type of mood they're in to decide what emotion you're going to have. And I am 14 years out and that is still something I fight with to this day. Yeah, and I think I, that comes back to what I was touching on before. These beliefs and these habits that get so ingrained in us, learning to challenge them, learning that, hey, you know what? I can make a choice to wake up and show up how I want to today, not based on somebody else. And I think it comes so much back to this ownership thing and understanding and being aware of, wait a second, I can choose how I feel, not this person. And it isn't that courage. exciting? Yes, and it's exciting when you finally realize that that you're in control of it. Mm. I'll also go through, through, I'm, I'm talking about myself way more on this podcast than I have ever talked about myself. Um, I appreciate that by the way. I kind of go through cycles of insecurity because everything was always my fault. You know, I always had to take the blame for everything, which are some of more of the red flags. Um, and I'll go through these bouts of insecurity. And we just said, what makes us feel secure is taking care of ourselves and doing the things that we need to do for our own lives. Right. 
Well, I have gone through this cycle for years and it, it wasn't until the last year that I realized I have complete control of this because when you start feeling insecure, you start looking at the people around you wondering why they're making you feel insecure, right? Mm. Well, then all of a sudden I had this realization. Oh my gosh, it's because you quit talking to your family. You haven't been working out. You're not eating well. You're not putting the effort into your business that you need to. So I wasn't doing what I needed to do to be Heidi. So I'm feeling insecure and wondering why everybody's making me feel insecure. But that's that's kind of residual, but it was so um invigorating for me to realize that that's in my control mm. you know and and I get frustrated dealing with post-traumatic stuff 14 years later like to the point where it makes me so mad but this in fact I just went through it a few weeks ago I just started feeling blah I went through my checklist I was doing nothing that I'm supposed to be doing for me I was ignoring my friend's phone calls you know I wasn't, I wasn't working out. I, and so I just make my list and I start the next Monday morning and I just start doing it. And the whole cycle's fixed within three days. It's, as it's, soon as I start putting, putting back into it. It's, it's wild. And that's one thing that I struggle with a bit in the mental health industry and the work that I do. It's like, unless somebody's willing to help themselves, it's very, very hard to help them. Unless somebody's willing to implement daily habits into their life that might only be one, two, five minute things. If you can't do the bare minimum, it's very hard to expect any other outcome than repetitive of what you're doing, which is, and it's hard because you really want to help people, but some people, if they're not in a position to help themselves, it's, it I is think, really difficult. I think, you know, I have people come to me at all different stages Yeah, and, and I know from personal experience, it did not matter how many people told me to leave that relationship. I was not going to leave until I was ready. You're paralyzed. And, yeah. And I think though, you know, what you're, what you're talking about, those people just aren't ready. There's going to be a time that they're ready. And I, I work with people, they, they, their goal is to get out of this relationship. And two years later, I'm still repeating the same thing that I was repeating the first day I met them because they're not ready. But the sad thing is, and the scary thing is it's too late for some people, whether it be suicide, whether it be domestic abuse, it's, it's so hard. And um, yeah, it's like, how do you get people to make that decision for themselves earlier? Yep. Well, I just, I repeat. And the the one thing, the one thing that I do is I always tell them it is not my decision, whether you stay in that relationship or not, it is yours. It is Mm -hmm. my job to get you the understanding that you need so you can make that decision. And then I always, always, always say, if you choose to stay in it, I will still be here and I will support you in it. I will be here and support you out of it because they, they need the support either way. And when I, I always have to put myself back where I was, where, however, the client comes to me, I always take 10 minutes to put myself back where I was when I was where they are because I can relate to that. And then I know how they're thinking. I know how they're feeling. And, and it allows me to give them the support that they need from that point. And I have one lady, she's been trying to leave for two and a half years. Wow. And she knows that everybody else thinks she's crazy for being there. And she knows she can call Dr. Heidi and I'm not going to judge her because I did it. I did Mm. the same thing. And if I'm the only one that's going to be able to support and it's because I've been through it. Yeah. You know, Um, it was very discouraging for me when I was going through it and my sisters didn't get it. I really felt like they didn't support me. Okay. Now looking back, I'm so thankful they didn't get it because it means they've never been through it. Yeah. You know, they didn't know what to do. They didn't even know what to say. 
And, and now I'm just, I'm thankful they didn't because that means they have not been in anything like that. I always tease them that they could have never survived anyway. I'm like, yeah. Uh, uh, let, let's quickly go let's let's swing towards that arm of the conversation real quickly toxic family relationships getting out of a relationship with a partner a friendship a work colleague can be permanent and can be i mean let's not say easier than family but there's so many people who are in family relationships as well i think one that is becoming quite apparent to me and something that i definitely do not struggle with but i think it's because i do have quite a mature awareness around this is when your parents disagree with the way that you're taking your life, but it's because you've been educated and have different awareness that, wait a second, I don't have to share the same self-beliefs as my parents on my own person. How do you um, encourage, what's your process on helping people yeah, develop okay. stronger relationships with family if they're toxic? Okay. So, so the, the thing that I have to teach people is because the toxic personality is looking for things like, the feeling of control, the feeling of power, looking for attention, and they're looking to be able to control your emotions. That's what they feed on. That's what makes them feel secure, right? But I feel like so a lot of people, a toxic person doesn't even know they're doing that. I just know like, for instance, it's coming, especially let's talk like a mother and daughter relationship. Um, and the mother just wants the best for the daughter and always wants to check in with them and always wants to be there and do as much as they can. But for the daughter, that's just smothering them. How do you communicate with so, the mom? Yeah, it would, it's a hard one. It would, be, it would actually be the same exact thing because really, really what I'm teaching is for, for you, you have to learn to make the decision based on what's best for you. Mm. And, and in a toxic situation, I teach them to quit feeding the toxic person those feelings and quit engaging with them emotionally. Uh -huh. So something like, like what you're talking about, all the mom's doing is making the daughter feel guilty so she does what she wants. It doesn't, we all have toxic traits. So we wouldn't necessarily have to label this mother as toxic because yeah, we can yeah, all criticize, we can all manipulate, we can all do that. It's when it's in a repetitive, cyclic manner and it's used for manipulation is when we call it toxic. Yeah. The thing, the thing that the daughter in this situation has to do is go, okay, I'm feeling guilty, but do I have anything to feel guilty about? Parents are tough because we are always obligated because they're the ones that gave us life right? Uh, okay. But we also have to know that we are in control of our emotions and guilt is an emotion. So yeah. just because mom thinks you should do something doesn't mean you should be guilted into it because what you're doing is you're making your decision based on the emotion your mom is putting on you. You know, and that's what I was just talking when my former would go, I can't believe you're breaking up the family. Well, if I would have yeah. just taken five seconds to look and go, well, wait, this ain't a family. I just yeah. didn't like the feeling of guilt. And that, that's like, in this case, the daughter will struggle with the feeling of guilt. We don't like to feel guilty. What's the mm. fastest way to get rid of the feeling of guilt? Do what the other person wants. Yeah. Yeah. Then we at least feel the relief from the guilt. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I teach how to, to engage differently, but I also teach, okay, we have to figure out who you are, what you stand for, what you want in your life, what your values are. Because if you have all of those tools, when you have to make a decision and know that you have to make a decision that's best for you, you need to not worry about what mom thinks. You need to not worry about how it's going to affect other people because it's kind of like a highway and, and your life is, is this way. And you start making decisions based on what other people think or how other people feel or what other people think that you're supposed to do. And it's not the end of the world, but it's like taking the wrong exit. 
you have to go around four clover leaves to get back to where you were. Yeah. So I personally, because I know my personality, I have exercises in place that keep me accountable for making decisions based on what's best for me, because I know my personality will look and take care of other people before me. So I have certain exercises I do once a quarter, or if yeah. I have a big decision, I have these because I need to, I need to remind myself, this is your life and this is your decision and how it affects other people. They're going to have to handle it. Yeah. I think that's great. I love that you brought up values because I think that's something I do speak a lot about with the Good Human Factory. It's what my whole business model is based around encouraging people to develop strong values. That way you can be at least heading the right direction of the compass. And I think when you're in a relationship or when you're just making any life decision, if it aligns with your values, it's sending you at least in the direction that you want to be heading in life. And and two, you get, you know, your values change. So I, I read one of those discover value exercises three or four times a year, because as you adopt them, you don't have to have them on a list. Right. Yeah. But I use that as my roadmap mm, and exactly. decision-making relationships. You put everything up against those values. They are going to support one direction over the other direction. Yeah. So, so as soon as I do it, I make a screensaver and I put my six, my top six values on my phone. Cause we turn our phones on 9,652 times a day. And right. So I keep, I keep my newest values in front of my face. And then, you know, you have a decision when I had to retire from healthcare, I put it off and put it off and I really wanted to, but I wasn't sure financially if this business could take over. And then I was worried about my patients and I was worried about my parents yeah. being upset. I was worried about my classmates who would think I turned my back on my degree. And, you know, even though I knew I wanted to do this instead. Yeah. And I sat down one day and I started that exercise. And before I was two thirds the way done, I, I absolutely 100% knew that if I was going to do what was best for Heidi, it was retire from healthcare and do this. Wow. And some people didn't like it. And there's sometimes when your value system supports the harder way and you look at it and you go, oh, I know that's the right decision, but it's going to be so hard. Yeah. So you go, okay, I think I'll do it this way. Well, there you go around the four clover leaves and you're going to be making the same decision three months from now. Yeah. But, but me personally, because of all of the stuff that I had been through and, and how it changes, how you think about yourself and your self-worth, I knew that for me to stay on track, even 14 years later, I have to have some type of plan to keep me, to keep me living for Heidi. And that. so I do all the self-discovery with my clients too. We have to figure out who you are because otherwise without any identity, you're going to go step into another relationship just so you can have the identity of a boyfriend. Mm. You know, when, when you're in these toxic relationships, when you're with your spouse, your wife, when you're with your kids, your mom, when you're at work, you're a doctor, when you're with your friends, you're a friend, and they dump you in a room by yourself and you have no idea who you are. So yeah. we quick scramble to get in another relationship. So we have an identity and I work really hard on getting people's identity established before they move on. Because if you know 100% solid who you are and what you stand for, it's going to be a lot easier for you to take care of yourself than if you haven't done any healing and you haven't done any self-work and you fling yourself back on the dating sites. Mm, it's like, if you don't know what your values are and you don't know who you are as a person, it's like having a sailboat and every time the wind blows, it blows you whatever direction. Whereas once you begin to discover who you are, your values, the direction you want to take in life, it's like chucking a motor on the back of your boat and then you can start going whatever direction you want. But until you have that 
awareness or motor, you're just going to go whichever way that wind blows your sail. Yep. And, and, you know, these type of relationships, you learn to take the path of least resistance mm. because, because we don't want to, you know, rock the boat. You just use the boat. We're always yeah. walking on eggshells because we don't want to upset, you know, we don't want to wake the bear. So yeah. we take the path of least resistance. Like you said, your boat just floats however it's supposed to go. Well, if, if we don't figure that out, people are going to take advantage of us. And you're so used to taking the path of least resistance mm. that other people are making your decisions and other people are making your life choices and you're not living your life. You're living everybody else's life. Yeah. So how to break free of that. The last quick little topic I wanted to touch on, because I think this is something that might flip the switch a little bit. How do we deal with somebody who's come from a toxic relationship and best assist them into feeling comfortable and yeah, help them through the next relationship? Because it's something that I'm kind of going through a bit myself. My beautiful partner has been through quite a toxic relationship, which she's opened up and shared with me. So just giving her the space to feel loved and to feel like she can be the amazing person that she is after coming from a toxic relationship, because I think that's just as common a thing as, yeah, seeing somebody in a toxic relationship is that next step, that next relationship. How do you encourage your clients to have the capacity to allow themselves to love again and allow themselves to be open in a relationship? Um, well, you need to talk to my husband, that poor man. I don't know how he made it for the first three years. Mm. Him. He he knew, he kind of knew where I was coming from. He had a former marriage that wasn't so good. Um, he really tried to understand it. So you're yeah. really going to have to try and understand it. And the part that, that someone who is dating or with someone that was in a toxic relationship, the hardest thing you are going to um, have to understand is, is their triggers. Yeah. Um, when we are in toxic relationships, um, we're very tense. Okay, we're on we're we're in survival mode the whole time. And and if you if you ask um your partner, yeah. um she will she'll remember feeling very, very tense in this relationship. Okay, here's where my health care comes in. That feeling of tension was there in the very beginning of her relationship, but she did not recognize it as that is your body's natural defense mechanism telling you something's wrong because mm -hmm. your body's gonna know where you're safe long before you are. Well, then after she's in this relationship for a while, she has that tension all the time. And so she's, she gets very used to living with it. Now she's only going to have that tension when something reminds her. So if, if you say something that her former partner said that really hurt her, she'll have that feeling of tension because her body doesn't know that's not him. Her body doesn't know that's you. Her body just goes, the last time I heard this, you were in an unsafe place. And, and you're going to feel like, what I just, I just said this and she's going to have this trigger that makes her feel like she's like, she's unsafe. And it's going to be very confusing to you. Um, the other thing my, my husband did, which is why I feel like I fit on this podcast. Um, yeah, he, he really pushed me to find my independence back. And because yes. I was so scared that I was going to do something that messed up the relationship, I was very clingy to him. You know, I would go out to the rope and pin and I would help him with his horses and I would go get hay with him. And one day he said, I think we'd been married two years. He said, I love it that you like to hang out with me. Well, my former trained me to be in his back pocket because if I wasn't there, if he needed me, I was in trouble. Right. Mm. But the man that I married to now said, I love that you like to be with me, but I think you need to, you need to be able to have your own independence. You know, I like to hunt. You need to find something. So he gave me till Friday to pick a hobby. Mm. 
okay, well, I hadn't thought about myself for years. All I had thought about was, was other people. And my former had made me quit all my hobbies. So I'm like, okay, crap, I have till Friday to find a hobby. And so I went through all my old hobbies. Well, they were very triggering for me. So I knew I didn't want to do those. Well, Friday comes and I hadn't thought of a hobby. And I told him, I said, I, I can't think of anything. And he said, well, when we first met, you told me you wanted to bodybuild. And then I was like, oh, I did. And he said, well, you just start that. If you think of a different hobby, you can always switch. But I want you to do something for yourself um, so you can have something for yourself. So I hired a trainer. I did not tell anyone. I was 42 years old the day I stepped into a gym for the first time. Wow. And I did my first figure competition six months later, and I got my pro card two years later. So I have my pro card in figure competition. Well, how cool. Good idea. Um, and, and, I, yeah, and I love but it. Yeah, you I didn't, it. I didn't love being on stage. I, I don't mind the meal plan. I don't mind the working out. Um, but it was ironic to me that I had been told everything that was wrong with me. And now I'm standing on stage in this little string thing. And there's nine people in front of me writing down what's wrong with me. Um, but it was so good for my self-confidence and to prove to myself that I could do something and set a goal and accomplish it and do something that was scary. Yeah. Um, and so, so my goal was to get my pro card and, and the same month that I got my pro card, I launched this business and I really had to look, I'm not helping anybody being in the gym two times a day. So I set my pro trophy up and I mean, I still work out, but I don't compete anymore because I wanted to dedicate my time to this, but um, he really pushed me to do that. And he, he pushes me to go out with my friends and that. he pushes me to go home and see my mom and dad. Um, you know, and the other thing I was a trained fighter. You might notice this. I was a trained fighter when I left my former relationship, because when they fight, they win. And when mm -hmm. they win, they feel power, which makes them feel secure. So I felt like I had to fight over everything. And my husband now has kind of trained me out of that. We, we can have a discussion, Heidi. Well, I would be all like ready yeah. to just, um, and it took several years, but, but now if we have a disagreement, we, we hardly fight at all. Um, he will literally look at me and he'll say, we are having a discussion. I love you no matter what. I'm not going anywhere. All yeah. we're doing is we, we, we're allowed to have different points of views. Nobody has to win in this. So he's been very good about, about making sure that I know I'm safe mm. and reminding me. And I'm sure there's times that he went in the bedroom and wanted to pull his hair out um, because he's had to repeat himself a lot because it's a continual cycle. Yeah. No, I feel so very, no, yeah, I think it's very similar. I mean, my partner's amazing. She's done a lot of work and wants to maintain and will continually always maintain her independence. And I want to support that. I want to support her and grow together rather than have somebody just support the other person and I think it's, uh, it's something that I've learned so much from her which I think is amazing is I've been in relationships before and I wouldn't call it toxic but but I just felt because of the relationships I'd seen that I kind of oh, I don't even know how to explain this basically like if that if I'd done something I'd done something wrong whereas now my partner is like if you want to do something who am I to judge that like you want to go do that? If you want to go and stay out and play golf for the afternoon, I don't need you here. Like, whereas once it gets to that, oh, like, but what about me? Like, what are we doing for dinner? It's like, if you can't support yourself, then you shouldn't be in a relationship. Like once you can support yourself first, then you can really show up to a relationship. Yep. And, and, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of research on this, losing your identity um, because I, because I will still go through cycles and, 
you, you will feel it before she knows it because you'll feel her being very clingy to you. And it's, it's, it, it's probably when she's not doing what she's supposed to do. And then she starts making the relationship, the center of her life, instead of a bonus to her life. So, so you'll have to support and say, Hey, why don't you call your friends and go out? Or, Hey, why don't you start bodybuilding or something? My, because, mine's because, quite unique. My, my partner's Brazilian and she's here in Australia. So she doesn't know anyone, but she just adds value to everything. Yeah. No, anyway, but, but yeah, you will feel, you'll feel it before she does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, I'm, you're I'm so supportive and want to watch her chase her dreams and want to support mm -hmm. that along the way. I think it's epic to yeah. have somebody that can just build with you, but yeah, I'm I'm very happy. I'm very lucky. So and, it's going to be and exciting. My, my husband keeps telling me he will be on a podcast because because people need to hear what it's like to have to date somebody like us. Um, but we haven't done that yet. There is one of my podcast episodes that you can send to those who are trying to support people that are in toxic relationships. Um, Epic. I'll leave that one in the show notes for sure. So let's talk quickly for um, a minute just before we um wrap up about your podcast. It's not normal. It's toxic with obviously you, Dr. Heidi, when that come about and yeah, over a million downloads, which is huge. It's far, far bigger than my podcast. Um, but yeah, um, how good does that make you feel that you're supporting so many people? Well, that podcast wasn't supposed to do that uh, because I hadn't talked about it. And then when I moved, I couldn't talk about it because I didn't have my kids. And I, I started that podcast, not knowing if anybody would listen to it, but I had to start learning how to voice what I had been through. So I started that podcast, not, not even, not even thinking people would listen to it. Um, and it, it just did what it did. And that's, that's where, that's how people find me. Um, I did just launch a subscription podcast as well. In addition, where I'm actually able to answer listeners questions, because when I'm talking to a million people at a time, and I don't know your situation, it's, it's, it's my concern that I don't want to say anything that is going to be unsafe for certain people. Yeah. So that way people can, can send in their specific questions and I can answer them much, much more detailed um, because, yeah. you know, certain exit plans. I mean, I had to, I had to run away from mine when he went to work. My kids had to run away. You, you can't just lay out an exit plan if you don't know what the every, situation is. Every situation is unique. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I just launched that. I was going to say for those who are thinking they might be in a toxic relationship. Yeah, let's talk about the quiz. Uh, Okay. Yes, there is. It's called the toxicity profile analysis. It's on my website. It is a hundred and six questions. Um, so it takes a little bit to fill out, but in my programs, I teach 21 character traits of the toxic person. So when you take it, if you would decide to do a call with me, I have different results. I can see how many yeses you answer in each one. So before we're ever on the phone, I know exactly what type of personality you're dealing with. I know what kind of manipulations I can predict what's going to happen. If you're going to divorce them, I can predict the things that are going to go through the divorce process. So, you know, in advance, um, but that TPA works really well. Even if you don't have any intention of talking to me, go through it and read those questions. Because if you've been in a longstanding relationship, most of those things, you have become so used to them that you don't even realize they're abnormal anymore. It's mm. it's like if you walk into a room that stinks, if you stay in the room, the smell goes away. It doesn't mean the room doesn't stink. Yeah. And so just by people reading those, whether they, they ever have intention of using any of my services or not, it gets people thinking because they'll go, oh, I didn't even realize that that wasn't something that would go on in a healthy relationship. Amazing. Well, yeah, I'll leave all this stuff in the show notes. One last question, because I think this is going to be an interesting one. 
What about changing people who are toxic? Have you done much work where you've had breakthroughs where people have given, they've been in a toxic and then they've told the person that they've been seeing you and there's a lot of things and, or is, is it just a personality trait that people can't be changed? Well, I don't, I don't work with, I don't work with anybody who I would feel would be toxic to me. Okay. So, so I work with the people who have a personality like mine. Yeah. Now I defend the toxic person a lot. I am not, I run a, I run a huge support group on Facebook and I am very adamant that it is for encouragement and positivity. Yeah. Um, I'm not into bashing these people. I don't think they're monsters. They, they are people too. And they were created this way. And for whatever reason, it could have been a traumatic upbringing. It could be an addiction. It could be a diagnosis that makes them have that insecurity level. So, you know, we always want them to change. We beg them to change. We pray that they change. You know, I didn't like it when I was asked to change my hair to blonde. Wow. So it, the, the perspective that I take is, first of all, I don't know that it's fair to ask them to change if this is how they are wired, right? I just know the people that can be in my inner circle and the people that can't. And I don't worry about my former anymore. He has followed the same cycle. He's been married three times since me. Every single one of them has waited till he went to work and ran away. He is who he is. Yeah. I expect him to be that way. I just do not allow that in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, do I think they can change? I don't know, but I I would I would like to think that that they would be able to have a healthy relationship somewhere because I feel like it's really sad for them because I think it's I think it's lonely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm so so grateful for it. I've learned so much. I'm I'm very um, thankful for you sharing so much of your story. Like you said, you have been very open about your journey, which I know so many people will be um, grateful for as they'll get a lot out of it. But we're going to wrap up right now. The last question I do ask every single guest though on Good Humans podcast is, what does being a good human mean to Dr. Heidi? This is a really good question because, <laughs> because, this, because this is my business. This is how I make a living now. And you can get very distracted on building a business and losing focus on the mission of the business. So being a good person to me is, is getting the emails that people say, thank you for saving my life. And thank you for going through what you went through because I wouldn't have got out without you. So me being a good person is taking my past and helping others with it. I think that's so beautifully put. We talk about sometimes in life where the first kind of mountain we climb is for us. And we learn a lot, but then the second mountain is for service and trying to share our story to help others. And I feel the exact same with um the journey I'm right on right now that from a non-egotistical way, like, yeah, being a good human is someone who can share their story to inspire and improve other people's lives. Um, but yeah, exactly that is what you're doing. And I'm so um, stoked for that. Thanks for jumping on. Um, I guess last thing is where can everyone find you? Social media, website. I'll we'll leave it in the show notes, but if you just want to give a little bit of a plug to anything, now's the time. Okay. Um, my my podcast is It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. That can be found on any platform. The new membership podcast, you can join that subscription at it's not normal, it's toxic.com. And then my website with you know um the about me and all of my services is coaching with drheidi.com. Okay, amazing. I will leave all that in the show notes, but thank you so much once again. And yeah, Welcome. hopefully everyone will be in contact soon. Yes, thanks for having me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 